Um, guys, welcome, 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 welcome to the Read and Rant podcast. Um, this is what we do. We come together, we hang, we chill, we vibe, we spend 20 to 30 minutes reading the word, and then we spend another 20, 30 minutes ranting, or however much time you know we're afforded to just rant about what the Lord is saying concerning us that particular day. The three things that we're looking, uh, that we're meditating on, that we're prayerfully in consideration of. The first thing that we're considering as we uh, meditate on the word is we ask, what is God revealing concerning himself? The second thing we meditate on is what is God revealing concerning people? These are the questions that we're asking. And then the third question is, what is God uh, revealing concerning me? These are the three questions that we want to ruminate on, to reflect on as we prayerfully read through the scriptures. So today we're going to start with Genesis chapter 20. And then we're going to go as far as time affords us for about 20 minutes. And then afterwards, we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads. I've got nothing prepped. I've got nothing planned except just to hear what God has to say. And so um, I want to encourage you right now. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 20. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 20. And then we'll see. We'll see where the Lord leads. We will see where the Lord leads us. Chapter 20, verse one, it says this, and Abraham, oh, before I, before I read, I've done this a few times, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. But we thank you that you are wise, but beyond our own comprehension, Lord, your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts, but your ways are unsearchable. As Paul says in Romans chapter 11, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Lord, how deep is your wisdom? How deep is the richness of your knowledge? Father, we're just thankful. We're grateful Lord, for who you are. And Father, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. Reveal yourself through your word. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we engage in your word today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go right into it. Verse one, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself, he said, he is my brother, and the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands? I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what do you have in view? 
that you have done this thing. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father and not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from house, from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do in me. And every place wherever I go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God and healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Hmm. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham <clears throat> bore Abraham a son in his old age. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born, born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight, eight, eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Hmm. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. Wow. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin of water. And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it. And boy, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water of the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of the Lord called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Hmm. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. 
And God opened her eyes and saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. So Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of, the, of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom, you're, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkeys. Sorry, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young Men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together and they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar and put him on the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that the fear, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket of the thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you, your descendants, as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they, and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, indeed Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buzz his brother Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jildaf, Ishar, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milkor bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Gaham, Thahash, and Makkah. Sarah lived, Genesis 23, Sarah lived. 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to his sons of Heth. I spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choice, the choices of your burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet me, sorry, meet with Ephron, the son of Zohor for me, that he may give me the cave of Mechpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as the property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the, his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, Please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. 
What is that between you and me? So Barry, you're dead. Hmm. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Mechpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mechpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Hmm. We'll read one more chapter. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that land, please put your hand under my thigh. And I will make you swear by the Lord that the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. And if a woman is not willing to follow you, and you will be released from this oath, only do not take my son back there. So a servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant took his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the ever at the evening time, the time when a woman Sorry, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be that a young woman whom to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will give your camels a drink. Let her be the one. <clears throat> let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebecca, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. 
Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And then he had finished giving her and then she had finished giving him a drink. She said, I will drink water for your camels also. Sorry, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wandering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing about half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing about 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, where uh, tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom <clears throat> she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah, whose brother's name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there... He stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come on in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. And the man came to the house, and he loaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And he said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family for if they will not give her to you then you will be blessed from my oath and this day I came to the well and said O Lord my God sorry O Lord God of my master Abraham if you will not prosper the way in which I go behold I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and say to her Please give me a little water of your pitchers to drink. And she says to me, drink, I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher 
on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink. And I will give you, sorry, I'll give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put a nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that they worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call a young woman and ask her personally. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Hmm. So they sent Rebecca, their sister and their nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the men. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Bir Lahiroi, where he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, and Isaac brought her to his mother Sarah's tent, and she took Rebecca, and he he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Ah, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this time of reading. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we engage with your word and we ask that in your name we pray amen and amen that was a lot um i just realized how much time i i I exhausted today um it was good that we did this um i first of all i read genesis chapter 20 because uh, for many of you, you guys weren't here for that. You guys weren't able to uh, to engage 
um, only because I don't know what happened. My phone just froze. And then and now we've read through Genesis chapter 24. Um, if you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And what we do here is, is we just spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then we spend whatever time is afforded to us to um, just speak freely about whatever it is that the Lord is uh, convicting us of, whatever he is uh, encouraging us of, whatever word of exhortation that comes in that moment. I've got nothing prepared other than just to say, Lord, speak to us in this moment as we engage in your word. So if you are here for the first time and you're wondering, man, I wish I'd caught all this. My passion, guys. Okay. My passion is to see every believer read through the entire Bible. So I'm just going to do it with you. We read through the entire New Testament, spending 20 to 30 minutes, half a Netflix episode a day. And now we're reading through the entire Old Testament with half a Netflix episode every day. And and so for those of you who have journeyed, we're in Genesis 24 now. We just started not too long ago. And, um, and we're just going to just read through the entire Old Testament. And what I hope happens for those of you who've read through the New Testament along with me, and for those of you who are now reading through the Old Testament is is that you're kind of reading cheating because we know the purpose for all of this through the New Testament. And now there's no tension. We know the resolution of this as we read through the Old Testament. And so I think it's a it's just a great posture and perspective that you can have as you read the scriptures. One thing I want to encourage you to do um, as you're reading is not only reading prayerfully, but I want you to um, I, I want you to pull down all your presuppositions about the scriptures. I want you to pull down all your predilections towards whatever um, theological position you have or whatever you've been taught. Um, I want you to reread it. That's really like for a lot of believers, I want you to reread it. I need you to relearn it. I need you to to re to re-look at it, <laughs> to re-see it, <laughs> if that even makes sense, to to revisit the scriptures from uh, from an empty posture. Um, I've done this and I've had to do this multiple times where I've read through the whole Bible and I've done this multiple times where I will read through the Bible and I will cancel out whatever I knew. Because every time I read the scriptures empty, I see something new. Here's what happens. What happens is, is that when you read the Bible with what you grew up with, or when you read the scriptures with what you've been taught before, with whatever theology about God or whatever ecclesiology or whatever pneumatology or whatever homartiology, whatever soteriology, you know, whatever Christology, you, we can go all day with all the ologies, whatever ology you came with, when you come in with that, what happens is, is that you begin to read the scriptures through a filter because you've created a framework for what you understand the Bible says and what you understand the Bible is about. And so now that you've created the framework, you run everything you know through that framework rather than reading what the scriptures say in that moment and in that time. You're actually just reading it through a filter. And here's what filter does. Filters delete things. Filters remove things that don't fit. <laughs> Let me say that again. Filters remove things that don't fit. And we've all been guilty of this. We've all been guilty of this. We've 
we've all been guilty of doing this. We may not have noticed that we've done it, but we've done it. You know, when you grew up, grew up in church, they gave you a filter. You don't know that, but they did. Whenever you grew up, whatever, it doesn't matter what church you grew up in. You could have grown up in a Presbyterian church. You could have grown up in a Baptist church. You could have grown up in a charismatic church. You could have grown up in a reformed church. You could have grown up in a deliverance ministry. You could have grown up in, I've seen them all. Uh, you could have, you could have grown up in a Bible centric church, a gospel centric church. You can grow, it doesn't matter what church you grew up in. They gave you a filter. Did you hear what I said? They gave you a filter. And because they gave you a filter, when you read, you're reading through the filter. And that's what happens. That's what happens. You read it and then you go. And then so so here's what happens, right? When something doesn't align with your filter, you it's you just remove it. <laughs> you you just look over it. You you just glance over it, you glaze over it, and then you just move on. Oh, okay. And then you just keep moving. The difficult parts of scripture often are ignored and it's ignored by pastors, ignored by leaders, ignored by Christians, ignored by people because we want to make things make sense in a way that aligns with what we're already familiar with. You're not going to grow that way. You can't grow that way. You can't grow in your understanding of God and scripture, if you are reading the scriptures through a filter, you can't. So that's my, my first word of encouragement for you. And what I ask you to do is now, as we're reading through the old Testament, shut down all the filters that you're familiar with. Okay. Like, like just, 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 just throw all the filters away, read what's actually in front of you. Okay. Read what's actually in front of you and see what this is actually saying to you. Now, of course, I'm not here to do a Bible study with you. Maybe eventually I'll do that where we'll actually do Bible study and, and, and we'll do an unfiltered Bible study. That's what I'll call it. Unfiltered. (laughs) We'll do an unfiltered Bible study where we read the scriptures for what they say. But for now, I want you to read this. And, and in this time that we've read it, I hope you're starting to see something. Um, I hope that you're seeing a continual narrative here. Um, You know, the story of Abraham, Abraham and Abimelech that we just read in in Genesis chapter 20. Um, You know, Abraham lies to Abimelech. He doesn't really lie to Abimelech. What he does is he gives Abimelech a half truth. Um, If anybody knows, the best deception is is the deceptions that have truth in them. Um, The best deceptions are the ones with truth in them. Um, the, the best deceivers are the ones who, who tell you most, mostly what they say is true, but they put just a little bit of a lie in the truth to veer you off into a decision that's beneficial to them, but can be uh, detrimental to you. And so Abraham does give a, tr- a partial truth about Sarah. Um, and if you'll notice, culturally, it was not uncommon uh, for people who were married to each other, especially in those days, to be uh, um, to have some sort of relation, blood, some sort of blood relation, um, and you'll see the importance of that because the reason being, so so the, let's start with that, right? That's one thing that that makes us uncomfortable, right? If anybody sees that, that should make you uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable that Abraham married his half sister. That's weird. That doesn't align with what we do today in our culture. 
that doesn't align culturally with us. Now, we can go through all the, 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 the sociology and the anthropology behind why we don't do that today and why this is not considered uh, acceptable in today's time. But let's let's let I don't care if it's not acceptable in today's time. We know that's not acceptable. No, but we get that. But it was acceptable in that time. So now the question is, is why? Why was that acceptable then? <laughs> exactly. It's actually legal now. Why was that acceptable then? Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Because if it was if it if it wasn't acceptable, <clears throat> if it is acceptable now, but it wasn't. Um, but sorry, if it isn't acceptable now, but it was acceptable then, why is it that there was so much intentionality, right? Why was there so much intentionality in um, this blood relational marriage, okay? It's, it's as close to incestual as it gets. It must be, and just, just a, 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 I'll give you a preview to it, but it must be because the bloodline mattered, it must be because the bloodline mattered. Blood matters. Blood matters to God. DNA matters to God. The bloodline matters to God. Okay? Exactly. Exactly right. The bloodline matters to God. There was a purity that God wanted to maintain in the bloodline. Stay with me, family. God was in the business of preserving a bloodline. Why? See, these are the questions we have to ask. Why then is God seeking to preserve a bloodline? Abraham had to marry his half-sister. Huh. And then we look later on and we see Isaac is technically marrying his cousin. The bloodline. God is in the business of protecting his bloodline. Why? Why? God has made a covenant. Stay with me, family. God has made a covenant with Abraham. And, and if you understand, and it's important for you guys to understand this, this is how God functions. This is how God operates. This is how God runs things. We talked about this uh, a few, a uh, few days ago, right? That God who rules and he governs, God chooses willingly to rule and to govern through his creation. This is God's way of doing things. The Elohim, God rules in the spiritual realm through the Elohim. And God rules through the earthly realm through human beings. It's just how God chooses to do things. Okay? God just chooses to do things this way. So when people are sitting there trying to come up with explanations, like, why would God do it this way? Why would God... you? Who are we to advise God who is perfect, whose ways are above our ways, whose thoughts are above our thoughts to tell him? Who are we to tell God how he runs the show? But this is what God does. God willingly chooses to run the show in this way. 
and in instituting things. These are things we don't get to debate, y'all. We don't get to debate. Is God has placed incredible importance on the bloodline. This is how God chooses to do it. Is the bloodline important? Yes, it is important because God decided it that way. We'll, we'll later on read in Leviticus when he says that the life is in the blood, that the life is in the blood. So the bloodline matters. And so up to this point, God is in the business of preserving a bloodline. He's in the business of preserving a bloodline. Are you with me so far? Okay. So, so now if God is in the business of preserving, remember, I'm leaving the question out there. We're going to see this all the way through. That means that there's a family that God is establishing. God rules through his family. God has a family and the family that he has is by covenant. We talked about this yesterday, that God's promises are yes and amen. God put a promise on Abraham because Terah, of course, who, who had the revelation before, didn't act in faith. Abraham acted in faith and God established a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant that he established with Abraham was by faith. You understand that it was, it was Abraham moving in by faith and Abraham's move of faith led to God now giving him the promise. He was a recipient of the promise of God as a result of his faith. What did we see in the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham's faith in God now instituted and enacted the promise of God over his life. Faith is the key to the promise. If you want to, you can write that down, whatever. Faith is the key to the promise. Faith is the access to the blessing of God. Faith is the currency of God. Faith is the currency. And if you'll notice, faith has always been the currency. You know, it's funny how we, we make faith a new thing. Like faith is a new thing. Faith in Jesus. Faith is, we make faith this new thing. Faith has always been the currency of God. Faith has always been the promise of God and faith has been the way in which God institutes his covenant. Abraham in his covenant with God by faith now blessed his bloodline, blessed his bloodline. So now Abraham, we're seeing how Abraham navigates through all this. He has Ishmael. Ishmael was not a part or a recipient of the covenant of God. Ishmael was Abraham's way of trying to fulfill God's promise. Abraham stepped out of faith and he transitioned into works. <laughs> he, he tried to make the promise come into fruition as if he governed it. And we saw what happened with that. Ishmael was born, but Ishmael was a product of works. Isaac was a product of faith. I understand that Ishmael was a product of works. Isaac was not a product. What was not a product of works. Isaac was a product of faith. So even after Ishmael was born, God still gave the promise to Abraham through Isaac. That's the bloodline that he's running it through. So there's two dimensions now to the bloodline. I'm sorry if I do a little Bible study here, but I want you to, I want to make sure you see what I, what, what we need to see here. There are two dimensions to the bloodline. There is the bloodline that is the DNA 
And then there's the bloodline that is the covenant. The covenant of God. You understand this? Is that there's covenant. So blood has so 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 these two variables must align and coincide coincide in order for the promise to fulfill. It's 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 covenant and it's relationship. Okay? Covenant and relationship. And so Ishmael had the blood line, but he did not have the covenant. He was not birthed out of covenant. He was birthed out of a bondwoman. Stay with me, family. He was birthed out of a bondwoman. A slave woman. A woman who was not free. A woman who was subject to Sarah. Hagar. Ah, but then we see that Isaac is born. And Isaac is born out of the covenant that Abraham has with Sarah. Uh, see, Isaac had both. He had both covenant and DNA. He had the covenant. He was he was the recipient of the covenantal bloodline. Here's where people start getting real funny and iffy. People will start going, man, that's messed up, man. That's messed up that. You know, Ishmael didn't get the promise, but but Isaac did. Like that, that means that God shows favoritism. Yes, it does. That's true. But you're missing a bigger part of the story. I I find that when people read through filters, they they're missing the bigger part of the story. The bigger part of the story is this family. Is that's exactly right. Ishmael did get a different covenant and we'll get there in a minute. Well, maybe we won't get there in detail because I'm not afforded as much time, but I will say this. We're missing a bigger part of the story. Why is God enacting and dramatizing this thing through Abraham? Faith, covenant, blood, this family that's being established is a family that's being established by blood and faith. This family of God that is being established is being established by blood and covenantal faith. And yet, with that same DNA, there's another family that has the DNA of the father but doesn't have the same covenantal promise. I say this because I want to make sure you understand where I'm going with this. Is that God was in the business of writing a story through his people. We are all participants in a story. We read the story of Abraham and we miss the greater purpose behind the story. We get so tied up in Ishmael and Isaac and, and well, Ishmael came before Isaac. So why didn't Ishmael get the promise? Did you see what happened here? Ishmael is the son of a bond servant 
He's the son of a slave woman. Ishmael was born a slave. Isaac is the son of the promise. He was born inheriting the promise of God. I, I, I want to make sure you understand, family, that this was never about what's happening in the moment, but it was what's happening in the moment in light of what God is doing in eternity. God is very, very intentional about this family because God is writing an intentional story through this family. And this story that he's writing through this family was for the sake of writing the story for all humanity. He's, he's presenting us the story of what he is doing through these people. This was not about Abraham for Abraham's sake. This was not about Isaac for Isaac's sake. This was not about Ishmael for Ishmael's sake. This was way bigger than that. This is way more than that. Are y'all catching what I'm saying? Because we see now a son of a bondwoman. See that? We see a son of a bondwoman. And we see the son of a free woman. And somehow, the son of the free woman, his descendants, are called to do and, and act and initiate something. The son of the bondwoman doesn't get the same mission and calling. I'm, I'm just going to leave us in attention because we have some, we, we, we're just, we're just going to stay in this tension for a minute. Okay. Um, and we'll probably stay in this tension for the next two days as we continue to read through, because you need to understand this. This was not just about Ishmael and Isaac or the tensions between Ishmael and Isaac. It was about the grander story of the tension between the family of God and the rest of the world the family of God and the power of Satan. And yet this is why God is being very, 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 very specific about the bloodline. The bloodline, the bloodline, the bloodline, the bloodline. That's what we're reading here. We're reading how important it is to protect the bloodline. Abraham, who's married to his half-sister, and now we get into Genesis chapter 21, and Isaac is born, and, and then Ishmael and Hagar kicked out because, again, the tension is too real, that in the presence of now the promise, the child without the promise cannot remain because, again, the two women are at odds with each other. Isn't it funny how often we just, all we talk about is how Hagar and Sarah are beefing with each other. They're just beefing because of all the jealousy and the tension, and that is true. That's all there, but that's not what the story was about. You know, what's funny. I think it's funny how we see that and we miss out on the fact that we don't understand the cultural context, that this was not an uncommon thing. Okay? It was not uncommon. It was actually a culturally acceptable thing for uh, a man of a, a, a husband of a barren woman to bear children through one of her concubines or one of her 
um, handmaidens or one of her bond servants. That was not an uncommon thing. So people say, well, it's because of the jealousy and because of all that. Yeah, that makes sense in our cultural context, but it doesn't make sense then because that was actually an acceptable thing. Okay. It was an acceptable thing. The Hebrews understood, especially in that time, the dimension of uh, the, the, a dimension that goes far beyond just the general or just because of the jealousy and 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 all those, those dynamics. They knew that there was something bigger at play. They were the ones who don't see that because we just look at it and go, yeah, I will never have my baby mama sleeping in my house. Of course, our culture would never do that. But in that culture, it was accepted. And so if they have to leave and if they're separated from each other, then there must be something there must be another dimension. There must be something else at play. Right? That's what we that's what I want to make sure. I want I want everybody to see this because you need to stop looking at this stuff from your own cultural lens for a second. And go, okay, if that was an acceptable thing, then why would Hagar be kicked out of her house? Wait, if if that was acceptable for a bondwoman, then why? Why, 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 why would we push Hagar out? If it wasn't jealousy, if it wasn't so, so now understand that there is a bigger story. That's all I'm saying. There's a bigger story at play. We see covenant here. Then, then of course, Hagar uh, leaves. And in the midst of her leaving, we, we see uh, she's facing death. They're about to die in the wilderness and God meets them there because this is what God does with the children of bond servants. His grace is big enough even for them. We'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Well, not in a minute, but later on. And then we see the story of Abraham and Isaac. Oh man, that story. We got so much debate on that. What kind of crazy man would kill his son? Like would be willing to take his son up a mountain and kill him. I see this. Is the I've heard people say, oh, this is the problem I got with the Bible. This is the problem I got with these people. Like they read stuff like this and, and they see it and, they, and it's just like, oh, whatever. You want to know why a lot of Christians do it? Because we just delete and filter. <laughs> we filter, family. We filter. We don't actually wrestle. We don't actually wrestle at all. At all. We don't wrestle with scripture anymore. We just filter. We go, yeah, you know, Abraham tried to kill Isaac and it was it was pointing to, to Christ and, you know, and then we move on. No. No, 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 no. Sit in that for a minute. Sit in that for a minute. And I think sometimes we just kind of go, yeah, it's a cute little story. And, you know, and I saved. And then people who don't have the same filter that you have, they look at that and they go, that's a crazy story, yo. That's a crazy, yo, that's a crazy story. You telling me some guy takes his son and he goes up a mountain and it's just how, that's how big his faith is. He just has this big faith. You know, his faith was big. I don't think people understand how absolutely asinine and ridiculous it is, especially even for the people in those days who were reading in those days to hear a story of a father 
killing his heir. That was a big deal, yo. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Okay? It's a big, 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 big deal. That would trouble, disturb a reader in that time who's reading this. A reader 1,500 years ago. That would that would disturb them. Somehow it doesn't disturb us. It's like, yeah, you know, well, it's a big deal. That's why I like when non-Christians read, because when non-Christians read or people who aren't really in the Word, in the Bible, who didn't grow up in church, um, they would go, they would go, yo, that's crazy. You never thought about how crazy that is, that a father would, would kill his son? The words of Flavius Josephus, if I remember right, yes, he that Isaac was aware and willing. Here's the problem with Flavius, uh, with, with Josephus. Um, I, I, I so I don't want to. I don't want to be too uh, too combative because I think uh, Josephus has made some incredible contributions. Early church father, um, early church historian. I like that you brought him up, Fla, Fla, Flavius Josephus. Um, um, it gave us a lot of insight, but the one thing that I believe is missing often, even especially with some of the, I'll call them church fathers for a second, um, the early church fathers. And I do this not to, not to dismiss uh, Josephus, but more to dismiss what happens when you impose a Greco Roman thinking into the scriptures, the Greco Roman way of thinking has to justify logically why Abraham would um, would you know sacrifice his son, and so the best way to justify that would be because of Isaac's willingness. My 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 uh, my response to that is: even if my son was willing, it's still. It still doesn't take away from a Hebrew lens how incredibly insane of an idea it is that a father would kill his son. Did you hear me? Like how incredibly insane it is. So whether Isaac was willing or not, it still doesn't take away from the fact that a father is willing to put his son on the altar Because he heard from God and he heard that God made a request to him to kill his son. It's exactly right. That's his heir. That's a big deal, regardless of whether Isaac was willing. But again, this is what happens when we read it from our cultural lens and, and we veer away from understanding it from the Eastern cultural lens. And I think that's why, um, um, the truth, the truth, truth be told. Sorry if I if I ran a little bit on this, but tr- truth be told, the, the early church fathers, uh, there were more uh, North African and African church fathers than there were uh, Roman or Greco-Roman or European church fathers. Most of the church fathers who we've we've acquired uh, 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 theological uh, inferences and. Um, that that theological and doctrinal principles were established. Uh, most of them uh, came from from Africa. Um, they're mostly African, um, and 
And so what but 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 the travesty of that is is that a lot of the Eastern way of thinking in the Eastern documentation, um, a lot of that has been kind of put to the side. And so we 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 elevate some of the uh, European <laughs> we, we've elevated some of the European church fathers, not realizing uh, Flavius Josephus came came about two centuries after the early church fathers. So it'd be even, it's even more important for us to read the earlier church fathers, um, <laughs> and who, who and, and you'll you'll find that. Um, yes, he was a historian. Yes, exactly right. He was a historian, but um, but he was also a biblical historian. So, um, so that's just to say this, that, that it's important for us to, to, um, to read from the earlier church. But anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Oh, wow. My battery says 10%. So let me see if I can get all that in. Okay. So with, with that being said, we need to go back now and, and try to make understanding and let's not filter out the profound, uh, complexity of what's happening here between Abraham and Isaac, between Abraham and his son, between Abraham and his son. Why would Abraham be okay with this? Well, because he believed in God. That's not good enough. I'm gonna tell you why that's not good enough. Uh, Cause you know, we make faith believing. <laughs> Oh, man, I don't have enough time. We make faith believing, but faith is much more than believing. Um, we'll read in our Bibles, it says Abraham's faith is confirmed. His faith is confirmed. Um, what did Abraham believe? What did Abraham hear? What did Abraham know? Why would Abraham make a move like that? You see, I'm I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep working this in. I'm gonna keep working this in, um, because Abraham was a man who had a lot of doubts. He was a man who had a lot of doubts. For a man who was known for his faith, this man made a lot of moves for somebody who doubts a lot. So in this moment here, at this moment. This is when all of a sudden he's got this incredible faith to take his son and put his son on an altar. <laughs> right? I mean, we we do up to this point, Abraham, this man of faith, this man of faith has done a lot of things that are questionable to faith. This man of faith has has uh, taken a lot of things in his own hands. This man of faith, he's... Hmm. Or is faith a knowing that comes with action? Because Abraham doubted. And I've said this before, that the absence, that faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Um, people say, well, I don't have, I, I have doubts. So because I have doubts, then I can't have faith. But that's not, 
faith and doubt aren't even in the same category. There you go. There was a trust that he had in what he was being told to do that made him move in a way that didn't require any confirmation of truth. It was that he had a confidence and a conviction that goes beyond understanding. Faith is the confidence, is the conviction of things that go beyond our intellectual sphere and intellectual understanding. Everything Abraham does here does not align. It does not align with logic. It does not align with logic. And yet God cannot move within our intellectual logical sphere. God moves within our confidence of things that cannot be seen or proven. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. And it's actually in Hebrews chapter 11 that we see all these men in the Bible who, who, who executed and instituted and acted out their faith. Faith is not something that's proven to you. Faith is the proof. And yet now, He's being tested because faith is always tested. Abraham is operating. I want you I want you guys to understand this. Abraham is operating on a complete dependence and reliance upon God. Abraham is well aware now that the story that is being written through him is not about him. It's not about him. It's not about his posterity. It's about something bigger. It's about something bigger, family. He's writing a story. The story, of course, comes into full fruition when we see later on. But up to this point, this is part of a story. This is not about Abraham and Isaac more than it is about God and his people. And God is using this bloodline to reconcile all people and bring all people to justice. That's why he says in in Genesis chapter 22, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. (laughs) There is a ruling that God is ruling on the earth. But God's rule on the earth does not. Remember, I'm going to say this over and over again. I know it makes people uncomfortable because people do not understand what it means to be made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God has nothing to do with your looks. It has nothing to do with 
um, your abilities. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has to do with the calling of God on your life. And God has called you to institute his rule, to execute and to exercise his will on the earth. You are the ambassador of God on earth. If you're the ambassador of God on earth, guess whose agenda matters on earth? If you're the ambassador of God on earth, whose agenda matters? The the, the ambassador to the United States doesn't go into uh, the embassy or the, let's say the ambassador to France doesn't go um, um, into the, uh, the French president's office and begins to talk about what they want. And how they believe it should be done. No, they talk in representation to the authority that they represent. They talk on behalf of the United States government. They talk on behalf of the president of the United States. That's what the ambassador does. And the ambassador knows this well. So if the president of the United States says, this is how I want things to be done, the president doesn't do it. The ambassador executes it. We are the executors of God's justice on the earth. And I said this before, that we get so mad at things that God is doing, God is not doing. God is not doing anything without human participation. God is not doing anything on earth without human participation. Let me say that again. God is not doing anything on earth without human participation. And after God's will has been uh, um, proclaimed and declared, then God allows a conversation within his counsel as to how it's executed, but it will be executed. (laughs) God's will will be executed. This makes a lot of us uncomfortable. But it didn't make the Hebrew reader uncomfortable, which is why when we read this, I'm sorry, I got to go in a minute. I'm, I'm way over time, which is why when we read it, watch this, watch this, this bride of Isaac. Again, this whole thing going on between Abraham and Isaac is not about Abraham and Isaac. It's about justice. <laughs> it's about God executing his justice. It's about God enacting his justice. And this justice is this story of God restoring all things is happening and beginning to be instituted right here. The narrative is beginning to shift up to this point. uh, uh, Satan, and I'll call it, uh, remember I told you Satan is a system. The, The system Right. The system is in action. The system is the one that's that that's been at work. And now, um, even after Noah, we see the system. And then after Noah, now we see the institution of a new family through Abraham by covenant and by faith. Good. Now, um, I'll give you an example of this. So. By the way, the term Jehovah Jireh comes from Genesis chapter 22. The Lord who will provide. And and um and so we see Ephron. Um no not sorry, Abraham buries Sarah, right? And then afterwards he um he he gets a bride for Isaac. I want you to see this, okay? I want you to see this. In verse 14, the servant who was sent to go find a bride 
Notice, again, the blood matters. The blood matters. <laughs> blood matters to God. Says now, let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give you your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You know, we, we, this is going to make a lot of people look comfortable, but you know, we, we ignore, we just ignore verses like this. We, we just ignore it. We just walk right by it. Like, okay, keep on moving. These are the filters that I'm talking about. The servant has been called to go and find the spouse for Isaac. And the servant has a conversation with God. The servant says, let your choice be The woman who responds and says, let down your pitcher that I may drink. So God, I know you have a choice. I'm, let me see if I can, let me, let me run that back for you. We're here at 8 a.m. every morning, every weekday morning. Let, 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 me, let me make sure you guys catch this. Okay, let me make sure y'all catch what just happened just now. God is choosing a wife for Isaac. God is choosing a wife for Isaac. God has chosen a wife for Isaac. It will be Rebecca. We know how the story ends. But God is calling a man to go and get Rebecca for him. He goes and he gets to this well of water. And he then says, let the woman that um, that I asked to give me drink and my camels to drink, let her be the one. Let her be the one who I bring back. Let her be the choice. Did y'all catch that? These are things we just gloss over. We, we we ignore them. But she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed. Let the woman who I do X, Y, and Z be the one whom you appoint. Sit on that, fam. Like, sit on that. Sit on that for a second. Abraham's servant is saying to God, let the one you choose be the one that I do X, Y, and Z. This is what it looks like to operate in the authority of God on earth. This is what it looks like to operate with the authority of God. God is always, he is acting 
but it doesn't take us away from our responsibility, from our choices and our participation in this. We're not puppets. We're ambassadors. We are not puppets. We are ambassadors of God. We get to have conversations with God. Now, is he, does it take away from God's sovereignty? Absolutely not. He is sovereign. His promises are yes and amen. He will act and institute whatever he desires to institute. And yet Yahweh, God, decides to do that through our participation. There is a, there's actually a, 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 a council here. The servant says, let the woman who I asked, and then look what he does in the verse. And it also happened before he finished speaking that behold, Rebecca uh, was born, was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her picture and so, and then he saw that she looked beautiful. She was beautiful. She had all the goods. She had everything. He said, man, I like this one. Let me ask her for a drink. And he asked her for a drink. And she not only gave him a drink, but then she also gave the camels a drink. Who dictated the terms of that? Who dictated the terms of that? Was it not the servant? Who submitted to those terms? Was it not God? Ah, this is what it looks like to move supernaturally. I know it gets weird when people think about the supernatural, yet you have a supernatural God. If you have a supernatural God, then you need to learn how to move in the power that he's given us. Who chose Rebecca? God chose Rebecca. The servant didn't, but the servant chose Rebecca. God confirmed Rebecca to the servant based off of the servant's terms. This was a choice that the servant made and God confirmed. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, we need to stop sitting around waiting for God to just pull all the strings in our lives but we need to have a submission to him to trust and rely upon him in every decision that we make as we make those decisions. Ah, but God is still in control no matter how much we try to control things. Are y'all hearing me? So as we engage throughout this day, let us remember that we've been given authority under the authority of God. We have to rely on him and trust in him because this is what he does. This is how God moves. This is how God moves through us. This is how God moves in and with us. It's in him we live and move and have our being. This is how we move with God. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We know how the story ends. She comes back. She gets her own confirmation. And she marries Isaac. There's two things I want you to remember as we engage through this. Because we're going to stay in this tension. There's something about the bloodline. 
There's something about the bloodline that matters here. That's important here. And the second thing that we must remember is that we are participating with God. These chosen people are participating with God, having conversation with God, making decisions and trusting God as they make those decisions. Abraham is hearing from God and he's moving. He's acting. And yet through this mutual submission and action and submission and action, God is executing his will on earth. So we need to trust him that we are part of a bigger story. Father, we bless you today. We thank you that you brought us together. Lord, teach us, Lord, to move as you move. Teach us, Lord, to rely upon you. Teach us, Lord, to count on you. I just thank you, Lord, that you have uh, done great things, that you are doing great things, that you're still doing great things. So bless us today. Guide us. Lead us in all that we do, that we may know you, trust you, and rely upon you. Lord, teach us to be your children. Teach us, see the, teach us to see the power of your blood, the power of the bloodline. We ask that in your name we pray. Amen.